Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Marco. Thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. Uh, first of all, I would like to ask you to introduce yourself and how you would like to define yourself. Thank you, Marva. Thank you for inviting me for this podcast. I'm a pleasure to answer all your questions. And uh, if I would like to introduce myself, I'm Marco Bjelonic. I'm from ETH Zurich and uh, I'm a PhD student there. I'm soon... Hopefully soon I will graduate in the next months. Uh-huh. And um, I'm mostly working on wheeled-legged robots. So maybe you have seen our four-legged robot animal and I equipped it with wheels on it so that the robot can do roller walking motions. And how you would like to define yourself? Since you have been a new graduate next month and congratulations for that. But how you would like to define yourself as Marco? Um, I'm defining myself as a roboticist and um, mostly I would say I'm interested in solving real-world problems so that's why I would like to take my research even one step further to going to real-world applications. So I would like to go back when you were a child and I think your story is very interesting to our audience maybe maybe have a struggle in childhood and uh, as I can read from your story you and your family, uh, at the beginning, uh, I think, uh, the war in Yugoslavia, you traveled with your family when a, ch- a child w- to Germany. And you have a lot of a struggle to get asylum. Of course, you know, now we have a passport Germany. Congratulations. But if you can tell us a child, these memories affect you or how it shaped you? And do you think it had a correlation with being uh, a scientist now? Is there any relationship between how your childhood uh, was uh, and now being a scientist? Yes, so that's a question actually that I started to ask myself since a couple of years and it's quite hard to answer this question, how my early life really defined myself. As you correctly said, I came as a young boy together with my parents to Germany. We were escaping the war in Yugoslavia. And my parents and I, we tried for many years to set our life here. It was really difficult because we didn't get any asylum. We had my younger brother after six years in Germany who was born. So this made it harder and just for people to understand. So for 13, 14 years, we were really fighting for Um, getting a permanent residency in Germany, which meant we did demonstrations, we we collected signatures from people and what all of this made, how all of this shaped my character, I would say it really um, shaped me in a way to be resilient and to always try to work more than, than all the peers around me and that's something I'm up to this point, I'm always trying to mm-hmm. do. Very interesting, yeah. And I'm going to also ask you in your portfolio, I think that you 
love traveling around the world. What's something you think when you're traveling and you say that you want to understand other people? And do you think this is, has a relationship with what you're doing in your research, this kind of curiosity in, in your life to be traveling around and also in your research? Is there something common between them? I think there, it, ha it is really common um, or there is a connection between my curiosity in, in the world itself. So I love reading books about psychology, about how the human mind works. But I also love to read research papers or different there. And I think this curiosity comes also a little bit from my childhood since we are always traveling around and I never defined myself as um, having any nationality. So I always considered myself as a citizen of the, of the world. And that's why I love traveling around and seeing all different cultures in the world. And I think um, this, for example, also helped me then for, to, for my master thesis to go to Australia and to work with researchers there, which, which I really loved. And then got, coming back to Europe and then going to Zurich, which is also a different environment, I would say. It was also, I, I always loved that as a, as a researcher to have the opportunity in robotics, especially since you always publish papers and then you have some com conferences abroad. This is also something that I love. And when you go to these conferences, you meet people from all over the world. And I think all my hobbies and my work in that sense came somehow together. So I would like to ask you, what is the first robot you built, if you remember, and what is the feeling or thoughts that come to mind when you first build the actual robot? So the first robot that I built was a six-legged robot, and I built it um, in, um, because of my master thesis in Australia. So it was in Australia, it was a six-legged robot, and it was just amazing. It, it started off with, uh, with one leg. So I assembled one leg, I tried it out on a bench, I verified that it's work, working and then I really assembled the whole um, six-legged robot together and when it was walking for the first time, it, it sounds maybe weird for people that are not into robotics, but it was like uh, having a child that was born. And up till today, people are using that robot in Australia and it's always amazing and I'm so proud to see that robot walking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What did maybe changing in you after building this robot? What's something you recognize in yourself as a researcher after seeing like a child is, is born in this life, as you mentioned as this robot, yeah. What's something you think was a changing, uh, maybe a changing experience in you after that? Recognize it in yourself. Recognize maybe a skill you have after building this robot. That's something I, am, I have a strength in building this robot. And you mastered it after building this, this robot. So that's a tough question to answer. So I, I would say with the experience of building this robot, um, a lot of things that maybe changed for me is the understanding also for the human being itself. Because um, a lot of topics that we touch in robotics when it comes to AI or just control engineering, machine learning, you find a lot of small similarities between us as human beings, how our brain works and what the robot is doing. So I found it fascinating how 
similar we are actually to these robots. Of course, these robots are much um, not as intelligent as we are, but um, I can foresee that at some point in, in the future we will be able to achieve um, human capabilities. So if I ask you through your work you have been doing so far, what is the most simple and beautiful, profound equation that inspires you while designing this like robot? Ooh, that's the equation that really followed me through our life. As a control engineer, I can say maybe PID gains, um, learning how a PID controller works and it's a, it's, a, it's a simple equation that takes the error of some positions and velocity and adds some gains and um, generates actuation for, for the robot. So th I think as a control engineer, I would say this is something that followed me my whole life. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So I think many students ask you uh, about how we can design this leg robot. When we look even to Boston Dynamics and see and how they, they are dexterous and they can move in, in that way and even your robot as well. So first thing I ask you, the designing process. What do you think something is crucial before designing the leg robots or any kind of robot has locomotion? Because I think modeling sometimes is challenging and we spoke, we spoke many times about how you can model the environment is very challenging when you have this robot. So if you can tell us about the process you take that to design this robot. What's the first thing you start with would be very crucial for you at the beginning? So, to be honest, when I started working on my first legged robot, I was just doing trial and error, basically. I took the parts, I assembled the robot, and I was trying to make it work. Nowadays, with all the experience that I have, I think it's really crucial, before you even start touching any hardware, to really think through the design and to also spend more time on the design phase in the beginning. And that's what we are nowadays doing with all new robots that we build. So we really brainstorm for a long time. We, we stay as simple as possible. This means we, we stay maybe for a longer time in CAD, trying to iterate between CAD and simulation building. And with the possibility nowadays to have even 3D printers, you can iterate then over the design much, much longer before you actually then start the manufacturing of the real robot. So if I would recommend somebody that um, what they really have to make sure when they're building a, a new robot is to spend more time in the design phase. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. But I'm curious to ask you um, in the modeling and later on simulation, do you think which level do you have to go for if you we say that you have to spend a lot of time to in the design phase? To which level do you think you have to go for, and how you can guess maybe that's really the crucial parameter in design? Do you, how you can can get this idea that is really crucial in the design phase, and that's the parameter that we have to consider fully. Do you have this kind of thoughts in the beginning? which level you have to go for, and whether you have to simulate the environment where the robot is going to uh, deploy it. Any thoughts about that? So when it comes to the design phase, I would say um, a crucial part is also to have the right tools on hand, which means uh, really the simulation um, 
a proper simulation where, where you can really test the performance on the robot. But what's also really crucial in the design phase is to have the right people around you to brainstorm. So when we do our design meetings, we mostly have somebody like me that is more into the um, autonomy or or the locomotion aspect in terms of software development. But then also you need hardware specialists or even like a, from the application point of view, maybe somebody that understands a little bit the market if you want, if you, for example, um, want to sell a robot also. According to simulation, because that's something we cover in the podcast, that the gap between simulation and reality. Do you think, how do you think about sim to real and how we can close the gap between, for example, if you want to go for a design phase, you want to get insights or proper insights how this robot will behave. What is your experience about simulation? Do you think there's a lot of gap or how you can maybe circumvent the getting simulation uh, near to what happened in reality? Yes, so I would say when I, I can only speak uh, from the um, area of legged robotics and there I can say in the, in the last years um, we really saw, I would say we solved the sim to real problem and we see more and more papers where they achieve, um, for example, an AI learning purely in a simulation environment and they're able to um, play this on the real robot. And all of this started with one of my colleagues um, called Jamin Huambo. And he actually spent a lot of time during his PhD to really have his simulation environment as accurate as possible, which means he spent a lot of time to having the right contact model between the legs and the environment. But then also what you really have to consider is the actuation, which means um, having perfect torque sources in your simulator does not help to really capture the real dynamics of the robot later, but you really need to also model the actuators and put them into the simulation so that the um, agent in the simulation has um, an accurate model of the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting also, but I think Maybe Sudo could ask this question. If we go a step uh, farther uh, for the design also, but for the inspiration, either you could be have a bio-inspired uh, uh, legged robot or maybe biomimicry. So if you can tell us how you can get inspiration, if you look to the nature, how you can see the design of the leg can be different. If there's something maybe was used striking that that's something um, is hard to replicate, or maybe you get inspiration, how, how this process is done to get the shape of the uh, leg of the robot? So when we... Um, when during, it's really difficult, I, I would say, to only look into nature and we try to replicate nature itself. So there are some uh, principles that are so different between nature and robotics. And in our field nowadays, mostly people use uh, electric motors for the joints, which, which behave completely different than muscles, for example. Yeah. And for a long time, a lot of people were just trying to, with these electric motors, trying to replicate what nature is actually doing. But actually, this is not really the optimum 
for such an electric motor. Obviously, if you if we manage at some point, as in the probably one of the main parts that are um, discussed in this podcast are soft um, links or soft actuators. And I think the more we are able to generate more reliable and more powerful soft actuators, then we can maybe look into more in the nature. But I think we should look into nature, but we should also be careful of how much we really can replicate from nature. And actually, maybe there's even some parts that nature was not able to um, discover, let's say, in the case of, the, of our four-legged robot with the wheels. Um, that's something that is not out there in nature. So for this, you really have to take also our some of the advantages that we have in robotics that nature doesn't have and combine them, I would say. Mm -hmm. I think this is really an excellent point and I would like to stop again here. Um, of course, in soft robotics, we still have limitation for designing artificial muscle in terms of maybe there's a trade-off that's something we have trade-off between the mechanical performance and response time. Uh, especially if we speak about smart artificial muscle, the the actuated for external stimulus like voltage applied and you get a certain uh, mechanical performance. So do you think when you're designing this kind of like currently with, with electric motor, do you think that um, there is a, a gap between the forces reduced and the response time? How is this process is gone? And what do you think, why do you think there's something uh, maybe missing from the nature when we're using electrical motors? What's something you think is really missing? If you can elaborate more about that. So, so some, something that is really missing, um, I would say, um, is to be able to absorb shocks and actually use this energy again when you um, apply the force back to the environment. So I think this is something that is missing nowadays with the electric motors. I you can still somehow electrically achieve something similar like that um, with smart, smart control architectures. But I think having a real passive um, element like artificial muscles that can store temporarily energy and um, apply them back, that's something that is missing with the current setup of electrical motors. So maybe again about locomotion, I think that's the question I should ask about the wheeled legged robots. And for example, if we see uh, Boston Dynamic, they have, uh, or also in Darbra, I think they have, uh, don't have like the wheeled uh, part. If you can tell us what's the difference, why you choose design wheeled legged robot and, uh, and what's the difference between what developed at Boston Dynamic or Darbra, for example? So the reason, why we why i started working on the on the wheeled legged platform or why our lab then also decided to put more energy into this topic is i think as we already have spoken about um, replicating nature and looking into nature i really like the idea of adding wheels because it was something that is actually not out there in nature and it creates uh, as a research perspective it adds also some complexity because you cannot look into nature and trying to understand from nature how you should locomote with such a robot you really need this, um, 
a clever optimization problem that takes into consideration, that takes into account all the physical constraints and that discovers by itself um, what kind of locomotion is the most efficient for such a robot. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, really. Yeah. So, for example, if you can tell us example about something was difficult or maybe complex when you design um, the legged robot with, with wheels, something was complex and challenging and you figured out to solve what that thing is. So I would say coming up with this, um, with this optimization problem or with this artificial intelligence um, that really takes into account the whole body dynamics of, the, of, of such a system was the crucial and the most important but also the most challenging part of the development. Um, and having that, in, into, having that designed makes us uh, more robust, but also enables us to find motions that we couldn't think of before. Because finding heuristics for, for, such, a, for such a robot by uh, looking at the nature and just mimicking what nature is doing is not possible. So I think coming up with that optimization problem was the most challenging part. So maybe I, I would like to ask you, well, what could be the area or direction in this line you think is very promising for designing like robot, but the community seems to disagree or doesn't give much attention? We speak about artificial mustard, something else you think is very promising, but still robotics community doesn't, doesn't give much attention. Maybe disagree with uh, this research line or there's no fo enough focus on that. So I think in the legged community part, what I can see is that there are now more and more research groups, but also company building, quad, especially quadrupedal robots, so, leg, so robots with four legs. And they're all converging to the same configuration, the same actuation, um, the same behaviors. And you see really that most of the research groups there are really um, like finding the same optimum. What I can see from that, that what is missing are, as you said, um, artificial muscles to have really something working that moves more like a dog, for example, that is also more natural like a dog. Or even in my research, thinking a little bit out of the box and adding wheels. But then also going maybe back in the design process and coming with leg configurations that are not there in nature and that are not there in the research community and optimizing over this leg structure would be something um, novel in my eyes, in, in my community. Yeah, I really like this point, uh, what you mentioned. And if I can break it again, you say that maybe you're right, there's the same solution, the same functionalities, the same design. And why do you think this kind of maybe, um, if you mentioned that when you design a legged robot with wheels, that something was innovative, of course, and outside the box. Why do you think there's kind of maybe following the, the, the trend, or following the norm of what design, and, and there's maybe some kind of being afraid to go outside of, the, of what developed so far. Do you think that's something uh, a problematic in, in, in research process? that we follow what have been done and we are afraid to go for new ideas? Do you think that's something you, you think it's a problematic or 
or maybe what's the explanation that all of them come into the same solution, the same optimization, the same functionalities? Why is this happening? Yeah, I think in general, wherever you look in any um, field, you always see incremental improvements. So I, I don't think that there are many um, inventions out there that came from scratch without any prior knowledge. So what, one thing, it kind of makes sense that some people are coming to the same, converging to the, to the, to the same design. But on the other hand, it's also really challenging to come up with a new design because it's also it's really expensive to build a robot like that. So if, if, if you look into our lab, for now we are working on Legged Robotics since 10 years. It had so many design iterations, it had so many different versions of the robot and having so many people involved in this project, which is a lot of cost and a lot of time. So. I think this is also maybe a barrier for a lot of research groups if they do try to do something completely different and maybe it doesn't work out in the end and then you wasted all that money for nothing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's something also we cover in the podcast sometime is that um, the risk in research, if you do something completely new and there's a risk, you didn't get a publication out of it or maybe result. And that's why... I, yeah, sometimes you have to, yeah, not go to risky ideas. So um, I understand this point. Yeah. Thanks for that. I yeah. agree. Yeah. However, it's a tricky, you know, Mark, for example, you have this interesting idea and uh, fortunately it worked and uh, it made a success. But do you have any idea how you can balance me, me between being innovative and going with your ideas and think outside the box. Because let's be realistic, in academia sometimes, um, of course it's about curiosity and finding something beyond what have been so, done so far. Or, But sometimes you have to be like apprehensive, just to like, you have to be careful not to go to risk ideas. And sometimes, sometimes it ends up that you're doing something maybe not um, trigger your curiosity. I'm not making a sweeping generalization, but do you, do you think that what could be the equation to balance between curiosity and going to new idea and have a little of risk and also have a result? Do you think that maybe the system have to be changed in academia that, okay, you don't have maybe to get positive result? Or what your thoughts? I know it's still early for you to, to think about that, but maybe you have this kind of thoughts since you have the successful experiences. And I think... That's something combined, curiosity and also success as an academician. Yeah. So I think one good concept for this is to think of incre incremental improvements. So when I started off with my, as an example now, as when I started with my PhD, my goal in the beginning was to build a completely new robot. It had 30 degrees of freedom. It also had wheels and legs. But after half a year working on that project, I, I saw the risk in there. It costs a lot of money to build that robot. We're not sure even if, if it works. And then after a lot of frustration over this project, I looked at our functioning four-legged robot animal and I saw we could have a first test on that on that robot if something like that would work and the, and the, so the simplest solution to really explore this new field for me 
was, it sounds so obvious, but back then it wasn't that obvious for me. It's just to put these wheels on the robot. And when I did that, or when I decided to really put all my energy into this project, I kind of knew that it has to work or will work, because just from the fact that quadrupedal robots without wheels are working that, um, that reliably. So I thought with this incremental improvement, just adding wheels at the end effect of the robot, we will be able to achieve something that actually works. So having this incremental improvement and building on top of existing research, um, extending existing research is the way to go. Yeah, I think many students can relate with that. I think the frustration and despair sometimes is you're right and then you figure out that's idea come to me and I have to apply it. So maybe we can cover that tips for students by the end of the podcast because I think that's very, very important. But yeah, especially I, yeah. now when I work with students, even if it's software and not just the hardware, I always say start with the simplest solutions, try something that is that already exists, that is out there, and try to build on top of that because we have a baseline in research, we know what is working, and you, you can look out there and you, um, in our research community and you find so many great works that are already working on the hardware or in the software, and we can always try to build up on that. So that is also the reason why we are all publishing and sharing our knowledge. Yeah, that's also a good point, yeah. I'd like to go back again about uh, non-inertis because I think that's also soft robotics. Lately, we speak about physical uh, artificial intelligence, how we can use a body in, in a certain way. And for example, there's an example about dead fish swimming upstream. I think, I don't know if you saw this video, but and that this fish was dead and still functioning. And that comes again about non-inertis in the, in, the, in the body and how we can access the beneficial non-inertis in smart material or soft material or artificial muscle, for example. Speaking about legged robot, do you think non-inertis, you have to get rid of, or maybe sometimes this non-inertis can be uh, interesting and can achieve something interesting as a functionality. How do you deal with non-inertis, speaking about legged robot? So I heard of this example with this uh, dead fish that was swimming up upstream and it's just an amazing how um, just by the structure of, of, of the or the design of, of the fish the rod was still able to swim which actually gives me an indication that actually the control system of this fish must be can stay simpler because already by design the robot is able to swim. Now, if I come back to your question regarding the non-linearities, um, what is really important is to look at the system and try to understand the system and to also um, write down the non or use the non-linearities in your optimization problem, for example, that you think that matters. So capturing the, the whole dynamics of the, of the robot is something that would be great, but it's in mo in most of the time it's not feasible because then you cannot solve, solve the problem in a, in, a fast, in a fast way. But then actually to finding the right heuristics for, for, for the system or for the task that you would like to achieve is something that should be considered during the design phase of the software algorithm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. 
And if I ask you maybe what are the misconceptions about legged robot you have witnessed maybe in your field, misconceptions, or maybe outside the field, general public, about legged robots? I think especially um, in the beginning of legged robots when the robots were not performing as they do today. So I think today more and more people are impressed by the work and they, and they can see what is behind that. But a lot of pe people in the beginning that were not in the field and, this, and when they see for the first time a legged robot, they would say, oh, um, they're surprised that we are not a step further in, le in legged robotics. I remember my mother saying, when, when I showed her for the first time the legged robot, she said, so, so what's so hard about it? You just need to walk. <laughs> and this is something, the misconception from, from the outside, because a lot of people see these um, simulated, see maybe videos of Terminator and they see these robots. Well, um, running around in, in, the, in the movie and they think that the hardware is behaving the same way. So that's one misconception in the past that I witnessed a lot, but I think nowadays we don't have that, this problem that much anymore. So um, I would like to ask you how you define maybe intelligence and legged robots in terms of the structure, maybe the smart structures, how you design them, the body in a certain way so that they can have this functionality. And if you come up with this wheel, that maybe that's what, the, at this time, that's solution. But for your, um, when you think about intelligence in design, or maybe the functionality you're expecting, how do you see intelligence in legged robot? What is this item you think that's what makes intelligent, the behavior? So for me, intelligent behavior um, as a researcher, which is probably something completely different than what the public um, defines as intelligence, it's always something when the algorithm comes up with that I didn't expect. Uh -huh. So that's for me, from the research perspective, um, always something that I, for myself, define intelligence. Maybe a lot of people um, that are not familiar with artificial intelligence or with um, software de development or something like that, um, they would consider the whole um, locomotion itself of the robot as artificial intelligence. And I think you can also define it that way. But for me personally, whenever um, we come up with a new algorithm that, um, that creates or discovers something that we didn't know before, um, or let's say a simple step to the side or a sim simple movement that makes the robot more dynamic, then that's always something that I would say is for me intelligence. That's interesting, yeah. And maybe the question related here, where is there any direction you thought would work out very well, but empirical result proved something interesting. You mentioned that, yeah, you have something you didn't expect it, like small movement and make it more dynamic. But if you can give a, a concrete example that something, maybe analytical modeling or beam simulation, you expect this result. But when you did in the real test, something we didn't expect, it was very interesting to you. And maybe it was something completely different what you expected. Hmm. So for me recently, um, it was something really simple as um, ch changing the 
the direction of the robot, so the locomotion direction of the robot from one direction to another quickly, let's say from plus two meters per second to, mi to two, minus two meters per second, um, was something where I experienced something like that. And what happened there is actually that the whole combination of the legs and wheels had, was combined in one mo uh, motion to really achieve this changing um, direction of the robot in, in a really fast speed way. So that was really something cool to see and even for, I think, most of the colleagues that saw, saw that, that was maybe the most impressive. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. So if you can tell us um, maybe what is the technological roadblocks for legged robots in a short term and long term. If you can list what is the biggest technological roadblocks in short term and long term. Um, so you mean in terms of the application or maybe in uh, technology and the technology we mentioned uh, artificial muscle for example if you can list maybe from the market also perspective what is the challenging or maybe like, let's keep it simple first from the technology perspective what are the biggest technological roadblocks for legged robot do you think in short term and long term I think short term for me would be to um, discover more concept with this weed legged design so yeah. with my current design i only added the the wheels basically to the legs without changing the leg configuration but maybe by by changing also the leg configuration um, to something that is actually not used in nature but it but it's more optimal for a weed weed legged robot is something for me that i could, could discover the next roadblocks would be definitely to also have artificial muscles in a, in a legged robot. And, and that's in, in terms of the hardware, in terms of the software, I think we still have a huge gap with what nature is able to achieve. So if you see mountain goats, how they climb over rocky mountains, or even what we as humans are able to, to, to achieve, I think there, in terms of the intelligence side, we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of possibilities where we can do also incremental improvements. So, and especially later on when we improve the hardware, having the artificial muscles in, in the robot, then also the question arises, um, how, how, how do we take these new actuations into account in the, in the intelligence of the robot? So basically, how can we leverage or benefit from these artificial muscles? So I think um, by changing also the hardware, a lot of new research questions. Yeah, I think that's also interesting, Boyd. Um, maybe a quick question. Do you think, uh, from your experience, Mark, do you think you have to maybe work with, uh, uh, maybe scientists just understand animal behavior or maybe animal um, uh, physiology. Do you think that's something could be interesting to leverage your understanding how, for example, the goat climbing the, the mountains? Do you think that something is important for maybe enhancing the research in the future? Or maybe you can manage it by yourself as a researcher? So I, I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense um, to look at these kinds of things in, in, for the hardware design of the robot. For example, if you look at mountain goats and their feet, it's just amazing how complex this structure is and how this 
how their feet are able to adapt to the to the environment. So just from that perspective, and that's just one part of the mountain goat, um, it's interesting to look at. When it comes to the software, I'm sometimes a little bit skeptical if you really need to look into nature or let the algorithm just discover the motions. Because um, if, if your algorithm takes into account the whole dynamics of the robot, it should be able to find or discover the same motions as what humans, uh, humans or nature or animals are doing. So I think there is maybe for, for the intelligence side no need to actually um, try to um, learn more from nature. But in terms of the hardware, I think it's a really crucial step to see how nature is, is solving certain problems. That's an excellent point, yeah. And maybe I would like to go back, we're closing to the end of the questions, but I would like to go again about the point you mentioned, very important at the beginning, when you said that when I start, I have technician and I have people specialized in hardware, software, and also from the market. Because I think that's also interesting aspect when you do research. Maybe this research cannot be monetized and maybe after finishing your PhD or maybe this research. If you can tell us why do you think most robotics company fails, especially hardware? We see software is, is really have a huge success. But when it comes to hardware, and even when we look to Boston Dynamic, how many years they have this generation, and it's still, it's still hard to, to have it like a market for that. It's, it's fancy, but still, I don't know what you thought. Maybe I'm wrong, but what do you think about why do you think hardware, especially you speak about robotics, is challenging uh, to find this place in the market? Do you think we don't consider fully the needs of the customers or maybe general public? Why do you think about that? So I think hardware is always really, as I said in the beginning, when it comes to hardware, a lot of costs are involved, a lot of manpower, a lot of time. So if you look at Boston Dynamics, there I'm not sure how many how many years they're, they're now developing this robot, but I probably think more than 20, 30 years or something like that. So if, if you look at from their perspective nowadays, they have maybe almost 200 people working um, in their company. So that's so many people over so many years developing hardware, developing software for that. So I think, and even from Boston Dynamics, perspective they even de they depend on the on um, the hardware development in different fields let's say when you look at the legged robot you 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 benefit for from material scientists when they develop a new material that is maybe stronger and lighter um, when it comes to the co computer development or chip development of computers if they become smaller and faster, so all of these concepts makes you a little bit um, dependent on other factors in the market. And, uh, and uh, that's the same with, let's say, smartphones. The, the, the idea of the, of the smartphone, you, you could have maybe 30, 40 years ago, but um, you couldn't build it because you just didn't have the parts. And being at the right moment in time, um, with, with these solutions is, I think, crucial. And we will now see if this is the right time for legged robot or if it still needs 
another five to ten years. So maybe I would like to ask you what is your aspiration in uh, the field of legged robot? What do you aspire to design or maybe what do your general aspiration in the field? At the mark, what are you looking for? Oh, so when I was a really young researcher, maybe maybe uh, eight years ago, I was really inspired by, for example, Boston Dynamics, just seeing the first time a YouTube video of a legged robot walking around. And back then I was not even planning to go in the field of robotics. I was mostly doing um, control engineering. And then when I saw this robot walking around, I thought, oh my, oh my gosh, that's amazing to see something like that. So I think I'm always um, motivated by my peers to see what the community is coming up with, um, with amazing videos, but, all, but also with their robots itself. But I think what also keeps me moving is also uh, my motivation to explore or to have a solution that was not discovered before and to yeah. um, develop such kind of solutions and bring it to the market especially because uh, as you as you said um, especially it's really crucial so not to look from a researcher's perspective but also try to think of sometimes um, how can we actually create a product for market where we can um, fulfill some needs of people and also make the life of people better or the whole society to improve the society. So I think that's something also that drives me. Uh, maybe I would like to ask you, do you have any crazy idea, maybe after finishing your PhD, do you have any crazy ideas about designing Lego drop or something maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any crazy ideas in your mind about designing something weird about Lego robot? Yeah, so my idea would be to go one step back and actually to rethink the design of legged robots because I think most of the legged robots nowadays they are over designed for their applications, which means actually they're designed for the roughest environment to go into the forest. But if you look into um, more than 95% of the applications that we have out there or the jobs that need to be done is just flat terrain with some stairs or steps. So finding the minimal amount of actuation to overcome these obstacles would be for me a crazy idea where you think a little bit outside the box and also not just look what other people are doing. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. And do you think ego is important for the researcher? Oh, I think when it comes to research, we, we see a lot of ego. I think when you go um, in, in, into conferences and when people are speaking about their work or their PhD and they uh, speak, it of, speak of their little baby that they developed over these years, there's a lot of ego involved and Actually, something that I maybe learned towards the end of my PhD is also to a little bit um, suppress your ego sometimes. I think it's totally fine to sometimes say, hey, what I was working 
with the last year or the last half a year, it's nonsense and it's not something uh, we should continue doing. So I think noticing something like that early enough can rescue you from the wrong decisions in your life as a reason. I would like to thank you for this point because I think, yeah, sometimes we human beings are ego-driven. Let's be realistic about that. And, uh, and what you said, I think it's a lot of wisdom when you come to this point. Especially admitting early enough that your wrongs exactly. save, saves you from a lot of uh, yeah, lot yeah. of suffering. Yes, that's really wise. Yeah, and of course, this was a question I ask you guest: which book inspired you, and you would recommend? When I look into your portfolio, you have a lot of amazing books, you know. But if you can tell us what is something maybe can resonate, um, maybe with the audience, or maybe interested in robotics, something you think very crucial to read. Uh, when it comes to robotics, hmm, I think something that I lo love to listen to or to read actually is the book by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, yeah. where he actually speaks about a lot of, um, actually tries to find um, um, understanding of how the human brain works or how we work and well when you listen carefully or when you read carefully his book you see a lot of um, similarities to artificial intelligence nowadays so that's something um, especially all the books that are covering nowadays um, the brain functioning I think we see a lot of similarities in artificial intelligence nowadays. That's a good recommendation, yeah. And what are the most important qualities you have gained while being in academia? And something you have to maintain. One quality you have to maintain. Being effective is for me one really um, crucial um, character trait that I think um, that formed me also throughout my life and when I speak about effectiveness then it's really to spend your, the time on, on the right problems and trying to solve also the right problems because a lot of people work a lot of hours or they're really efficient in coding but they're just working on the wrong problems so I think sometimes to just take a step back every day and rethink am I currently spending the right amount of time on the right problem is, I think, really valuable. I think this is a really excellent point. And I'm curious to ask you how you would recognize this uh, right problem. Or maybe you have this kind of understanding that, yeah, this is a problem I going to solve and it's going to be something add to the field. How you can recognize if the problem, yeah, you are right, you may be excellent in certain skills, but you like to define the right problem. Or maybe you spot the the problem and then you find a solution for that. Is there something you can tell as advice maybe here? Um, I'm not sure how to really find such a to to, to really discover something about yourself. Um, to be effective, I, I think being effective is something that you just, that is not just important for your work, but also for what do you want to do in your life, what actually makes you happy and 
rethinking also does the current job make you happy or should you change it should you use something set something different and i think this is something that always followed me throughout my life as a um, just from my background story as a as a refugee um, i think the first 15 to 20 years maybe i didn't have a choice but to be effective because without without that uh, probably my parents and i we couldn't um, make it um, to stay in Germany, for example. That's really profound words, yeah. And lastly, what was best advice was giving to you was it personally, professionally, and was a life-changing experience? Um, I, I, uh, one advice may, that, that comes to my mind now is when I was Having, I was doing an internship at Mercedes AMG in Stuttgart um, in project management for the development of the combustion engines. And back then my supervisor told me I should always make sure that I finish my tasks to 100% because only then they're finished. Otherwise, if you finish your tasks only 95% and you hand it over to your supervisors and they still have to fill in the last five percent it always looks like you didn't do your task so that's maybe something so obvious but uh, it really stays with me that i always should finish my task 200 percent and this is this is this is something that i still do nowadays whenever i send my first draft of my paper to my co-authors i always try to to send it when I'm at the point where I think I would like to submit it as it is. Really, I think excellent advice. And I'm, I'm trying also to may follow it at the, in my in my career. So yeah, I think that's really excellent advice. Be, to be excellent, you know, have the excellence. 100% you finish everything. Yeah. And do you have any final words for a robotics community would like to say? My final words? Uh, for the for the robotic community would be that we should keep on pushing the the barriers of our field and trying to increase our capabilities. So thanks a lot, Marco. It was really fun and uh, I think thoughtful as well for this discussion. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it.